Welcome back to Couch Potato Radio. As promised, Ben Lieber. He's a former Viking. He's a former Kansas State Wildcat. So we have a lot to get to with a Ben Lieber from the Vikings Radio Network. The Vikings take on the Kansas City Chiefs this Sunday. 11 o'clock is the pregame show. 12 noon is the kickoff. He'll be on the sidelines along with a Greg Coleman, Paul Allen, of course, with the call and the analyst Pete Bursich. Looking forward to that. But we'll get to the Vikings and the Chiefs in just a little bit. But first, Ben Lieber, thanks so much. Long time no talk. How the heck you doing i've been great how are you good you are a busy guy my goodness i hear you on westwood one college football and our sister station 740 the fan the fan affiliate up here in fargo moorhead and you're doing the vikings radio network stuff here on kfgo so you are a jet setting man aren't you <laughs> yeah it, it is the football season so it's uh it is a little busy but um i definitely could not keep up this pace if it was year round so i'm I'm down with it. I love it. Uh, it all pretty much slows down after Thanksgiving, so I got a I got a few more weeks here, and then it starts to slow down. Of course, we got many things to talk to you about, but as you can imagine, here in the Fargo Moorhead area, there's a lot of people, much like you know Wyoming, they want to follow Craig Bull and pull for him because it's a, a connection to NDSU, and same thing with your alma mater and your playing days at Kansas State. So. Chris Kleiman, there are a lot of people celebrating when your Kansas State Wildcats upset Oklahoma this past Saturday. Yeah, you know, I'd love to say that uh, it was totally expected that they were going to beat Oklahoma, but man, it was very unexpected. I I think that the the way that the team has sort of rallied behind Climate is is impressive, and that just goes to show you that that uh, as everybody knows up there, that he is the legitimate deal. He's not a guy that's going to come in and, and fill you full of just empty promises and cliches and, and coach speak. And, you know, he, he's a genuine guy and, and guys can see that he is genuine. So when he came in in his first meeting and said, Hey, this is not a rebuilding year. This is not, we're not going to you know, take a, a stumble out of the gates just because we have a convenient excuse of having new coaches. Um, we expect to win and we expect to win early. And those guys have bought in and they're going out and proving it every week that uh, they belong in the in, in the Big 12 competition and, and they want to fight and scrap and claw and get up there to the top of the ranks. And they may fall short, but they're going to believe along the way that they've got a good football team and that they're building something. So, um, you know, credit to him and credit to the players and, and they're developing players as well because Skyla Thompson's having a heck of a year. Yeah, that is a very good point. It's amazing. You played for a lot of coaches in the NFL and I'm sure even going in, you can tell when a guy maybe can set the tone for the right culture. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that you have a program here is one at Division Two, is one at the next level when they jumped up to FCS. And that's, th- you know, that just really kind of and, and you see that in organizations and in, in the NFL, too. Right. I mean, outside of this year, the Steelers, they've been pretty consistent. It's weird how that works. It is weird, but it's also very rare. You know, um, I, I would say that the Packers are another organization that is consistently one of the teams that is always tough to beat. And they don't have, if they had that down year, it's not, it's not a four and 12 down year. You know, it might be a seven and nine down year and they're always sort of competitive. The Steelers, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're a blue blood organization. The culture has been set. I mean, they've only had a handful of coaches in the whole history of the, of the organization. So yes, yeah, so I think once you can set that culture, it helps, but we've also seen, um, I mean, look at the 49ers. I mean, a storied franchise um, in the 90s that, you know, up until this year, just been 
terrible, you know, and they, and they haven't found any consistency. They've gone through a number of head coaches. And so it is nice to have a culture built and success, but you know, what North Dakota state has done is remarkable. And the fact that they they've gone, they're on their third head coach now and they don't seem to be missing a beat and, and they're hiring the right guys. And I think that they're doing, they're doing a great job of, of understanding what it takes to be a winning head coach and, and it's not just about all these, you know, crazy promises and what they're going to do. It's it's finding the right people. It's still a people oriented business, and and they've found the right people to be head coaches. You got to think it's going to help you know, guys who want to go up in the ranks, right? I mean, the fact that here you got an FCS program that this is translating into the Big Twelve, and obviously that's why North Dakota State fans are pulling for Kansas State because I think it's a reflection on what they do, right? I mean, it's just the, kind of that coaching tree type of thing. Yeah, it is a coaching tree, and again, once once a the the nation sort of figures out that hey, they're doing a good job of of just developing coaches within, and they're finding great talent, maybe where other people aren't, um, as far as coaches and players, um, that will become a a breeding ground for for Division One teams now looking to find the next the next guy and the next head coach, and you know, there's a countless number of 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 coaches that kind of, you know, find their success that way. And, and I think that's the fun part of, of the business is kind of who's next. You know, you, you watch what's going on again in, in San Francisco and then and with the Rams and they're hiring young coaches and all of a sudden that's the, the hip new thing. And Cincinnati's tried it and they're, they're sort of failing. So it's not always a 100% success rate. You know, Jeff Brom at Purdue, same sort of thing from Western Kentucky, you know, had some name cachet, but then had to really develop from, from within at the lower ranks. And, and, you know, there are uh, talented, talented coaches that are trying to find a way to get on their, their name on the national stage. And, and again, North Dakota State just continues to do it with their head coaches. Ben Lieber with us, former Viking, part of the Vikings Radio Network. He'll be on the sidelines at Arrowhead with the Vikings big game at the Chiefs. We'll talk about that in just a bit. My final thing on the college ranks, too, I... You're a former, you know, Big Twelve athlete, and you look at a situation like Kansas State having to compete against, you know, these big time programs like uh, Texas and all the money that is in Texas and Oklahoma. What do you think of the NCAA ruling now that they're going to let kids make money off their own likeness? It's it's really intriguing because I don't think I kind of read into it that the schools don't necessarily they don't want the schools to be in cahoots of making money off the kid, but a kid can go down his own path if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, we all know how that's going to go. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's going to be um, it, it'll be in the cards and a part of the recruiting process. I mean, you can't tell me that a major recruit or a major uh, donor who owns a big business that's an alum of Oklahoma is not going to be involved in getting a five-star quarterback recruit. I mean, that that's going to happen. And then, you know, again, it just becomes competitive and that's where the NCAA is going to have to come in and really lay down some legislation about how they're going to manage this. And quite frankly, what they released yesterday was just basically saying, hey, we we understand that this is going on and we're going to put some rules in effect and we're going to throw some fancy wording, but they basically have no idea how to wrap their heads around this thing and control this thing. But that's, yeah, that's that's going to be part of the recruiting process is uh, let's just say that, you know, from here in the twin cities, you've got a major donor that goes to the U of M 
uh, and they know that they're going after a five-star quarterback, and they also know that North Dakota State has a, is going after the same guy, or let's say Iowa State is going after the same guy. Well, guess what? There, there's probably a better chance that if it's not that donor in the Twin Cities, it's another big donor within the Twin Cities just because of sheer population and, and the resources involved versus a Fargo or versus an Ames. And, and that's going to get trickled down to the recruiting process, and you're going to tell said player or said, said parents that, hey, by the way, so-and-so at Cargill um, has already said that uh, you know, your son will be taken care of with X amount of money in the bank account if he signs this, this letter of intent. And you know, how, that's going to be much harder for the, the, the cities and the alumni base like, like Ames or like a North Dakota state to compete. And, and that's just going to be the reality of how it goes. And it's, it's going to trickle all the way down into every smaller school and every smaller town. But um, it's going to be a little bit of a wild, wild west before they get their, their finger on the pulse of this thing and control it. But it's, it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. You're talking, I mean, it's a billion dollar industry and I don't disagree with you at all. The money that's going to be thrown around is crazy. I'll be honest with you though. I see how people throw their money around here with NDSU football and North Dakota hockey. (laughs) It's going to get crazy even up here. I I just can't imagine where this might go. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's And that's the thing. I think everybody's focused on football, but we got to keep in mind that I think there are some benefits to it as well. And I know that there, this is not uh, an original take, but you know, you get some of these Olympic level gymnasts that that forego college because they don't get that experience and they don't they don't get that professional coaching. But you know, let's say that you get a gymnast or a diver or a swimmer. I mean, think about some of these swimmers that are you know, think about a, a young Michael Phelps coming out of high school, and you can actually get him to come to Stanford. You actually can get him to come to your school to swim as opposed to going the Olympic training route. And all of a sudden, now that's that's a destination for people to go watch this Olympic talent go swim against college competition. And that wouldn't have happened unless he was getting paid by somebody to be there. He can get a college education. He can, he can get all those benefits of being on the college campus and this in the school and the fan bases will benefit too, while they get to see uh, high level swimming. And, and so I think that there, there are benefits to other ancillary sports. And I know that we're focusing on basketball and, and football and you mentioned hockey, but uh, there's going to be problems with all of it, but I think there are going to be some benefits to it as well. Yeah, could kids stay longer? I mean, could the one and duns maybe stick around at a Duke or a Kentucky? Because hey, I'm making pretty good cash here. I'm enjoying my experience. Yeah, I think so. And you know, there are there are a lot of kids every year, and the same thing for the NFL. There's a lot of guys that that sort of get a draft grade uh, by some sort of third party service that claims that they know what's going on. These guys get these draft grades. They declare uh, the professional status by signing with an agent. And guess what? They go undrafted. Or in the, uh, in the NBA, they go in the second round and they become a D-league player, and then they never really amount to anything, whereas they could have developed, had a better time in college, had more fun with their teammates, and you know increased the success level of said university, and maybe become – uh, a legacy type guy where they're all of a sudden talking about this player and, and etching him in, in stone or having some sort of plaque or monument based on his performance, just because he, he did get a little bit of cash. He did help out mom and dad and support staff by staying in college. And, and then that's a win-win situation. And guess what? Maybe he develops into the player that he thought he was going to be two or three years into college. And then he actually gets to be a lottery pick in the, in the NBA or a higher draft pick in the NFL. So I, I do think, and I hope that that kind of does happen, and it does feel a little dirty 
that maybe that's how it's going to go down. But in the end, if, if this, let's say it's a basketball player or let's say it's a hockey player that's going to forego, um, you know, going to, to Canada or juniors or something, um, and they get a college education, they walk away with an actual degree, um, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And whereas otherwise, and you guys know with hockey, a lot of guys will go play professional hockey and never have one credit of college. And they'll walk away from their hockey career having zero college education. Yeah, it's interesting because, and, and the weird thing about hockey is you already know that. Well, yeah, he's a, like, you see these University of North Dakota kids. He's a product of, he's already property of the uh, Vancouver Canucks, right? Can you imagine that at Kansas State? You knew that when he got done, you'd actually know what NFL team you're going to. It's it's bizarre how different it is between the sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, ben Lieber with us from the Vikings Radio Network, former Viking linebacker, and does a lot of college uh, sports for Westwood One. Let's talk about the Vikings. Big matchup against the Chiefs here. Vikings have been playing very well. Four games, oh, four wins in a row here. Do you feel good about this? I mean, this is. I mean, can they keep this sustained? This is obviously a big game on the road for Kirk Cousins, who has a snack for not being able to win some big games. Yeah, I mean. I- I'm optimistic like everybody else that this is going to be a game that they, they can, and they should win. You know, I, I think that, you know, Mahomes obviously changes the dynamic greatly. Um, if he plays, he can extend plays he's, he can make every throw. He's got, he's got all that. And he, you know, he does a great job of, of just throwing sometimes where most people wouldn't throw the ball. And he's, he's not, he's not afraid. I mean, he's a fearless player. And that's always the thing that, that scares you about a defense going against him. Um, I do think that there is a newfound confidence with Kirk. I think there's a newfound confidence with the offense and they are still learning about, you know, which guy they can put in which situation, what routes they run the best. But, but man, I, I feel really good about what Stefanski is doing in the run game and in the pass game and getting guys open and finding new wrinkles to get guys open. So I like the creativity I, I like the the way they're operating, and now all of a sudden the the attention for me and the concern for me shifts over to the defense and whether or not we can cover anybody on a consistent basis uh, with our de- defensive uh, corners. Well, Holton Hill going to be back now from suspension. I think uh, Mike Hughes looks better, but Xavier Rhodes is you know is he going to have to make that transition to safety like a lot of veterans at that position do? Because you know cornerback that's a tough spot, and if you don't have the speed or the technique, it, it can be over for you in a quick hurry. Yeah, you know I don't want to sound completely pessimistic, um, but there doesn't give me a a lot of hope that he's going to turn a lot of stuff around in this season at corner. Um, You know, I I think time and every weekend and week out, we, I, at least I kind of noticed the same sort of stiff hips, um, the lack of, of explosive break out of his footwork. It it seems at times he's, he's turning his body like Cadillac. Um, and it, it's slow to kind of turn around and, and redirect. And so I think that short area quickness is starting to go. And, you know, you mentioned safety, and, yeah, that's kind of the natural progression for a lot of corners, but I, I don't think it'll be a safety on this team. I mean, we're pretty much set at safety, so if he does move to safety, I don't think it's going to be on this football team. Um, they, they're going to have to figure something out because as much as I like Trey Waynes, I don't think that he's a shutdown corner in the sense that you can lock him up with any, any number one receiver on any other team. Uh, so you're going to have to pay a little bit of uh, attention with the safeties on his side. 
you're going to have to pay some attention with safeties and linebackers on, on Xavier's side. So then all of a sudden now that's leaving the front seven, not to get too technical here, but almost like a cover two situation where you can't have a lot of safeties down in the run game. And you have to expect that your front seven is going to stop every run. And that gets to be difficult through four quarters of the rest of the season for those guys to hold up and be great run stoppers and, and sort of a cover two system. So, um, yeah, that is my concern, and uh, and I hope that I'm wrong these the second half of the season. But but Xavier needs to figure something out quickly. It's a weird thing, you know. You hear Coach Zimmer complain about the corners sometimes playing so far off, and uh, you've been on that you know situation before calling defensive plays. Isn't that kind of up to the coach to say, "Hey, get your butt up there"? I've always kind of it seems to complain about that almost every halftime. What's your take on that? Well, he does teach a different style of defense and the fact that he wants all of his corners to play top down. But, um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, when, when you tell a defensive end to have outside, outside arm leverage, well, there's, two, there's, there's ways you can do it. You know, you can just kind of throw your, your inside shoulder into the tackle and just keep your outside arm free and be like, yep, and, and see, I have my outside arm free. Or you can strike the guy, use your hat and hands, extend your arms, create separation, even push the guy back into the backfield a little bit, and not only constrict that inside running lane and also have outside leverage, um, you're basically doing the same thing. It's just that there's different ways to do it and there's more aggressive ways to do it. You can still play his cover four scheme top down without giving up so much space. And I think that's what he's talking about is, look, guys, you can play my technique. You can play the fact that I want you to be top down. But top down five yards off, off the, the, the receiver versus a yard and a half off the receiver is two different things. And, and I think the guys are a little, uh, I would say, just they just don't have a lot of confidence in their own skill set to play that close to the receivers with the fear that if they get beat on a double move, well, guess what? The cover four safety is not looking to his side because he's supposed to be the deepest. That corner is supposed to be the deepest man in the field in that part of the field. So I think the corners just have to do a better job of being more confident and trusting their instincts. My final thing for you, and Ben Lieber, thank you for your time. You've been generous with it. I've, <laughs> I've kept it a little bit longer. But as a former linebacker, the weapon and just everything that Delvin Cook brings to the table, catching the ball in the backfield or whatever, he's got to be a nightmare for our defensive coordinator. Well, he's, he's got to be. You know, I, I had a chance to talk with my old linebacker coach in San Diego, who's the defensive coordinator for the Redskins. I talked to him after the game, and, you know, we talked about Dalvin, and, and he's like, listen, he's, he's super special. You know, he's, he had all of his respect, and he said, you know, the one thing that he does really well is the way he trains his eyes to run that outside zone where he just stares and really focuses – on uh, on hitting that point on the outside by the offensive tackle. And he's like, he does such a good job of that. And then at the last second, he can take his eyes and cut back. And it's it's his ability to to be committed to that track. He's like, that's, it's a nuanced thing within the within the run scheme, but he's like, he does that so well. And he's like, as a, as a defense, it's really hard because you have to honor that because we've seen time and time again where he'll take that same track on the outside towards that offensive tackle and he'll keep it outside and he'll bounce it to the outside. And he, he attacks everything with such speed and precision 
that now it puts the defense in a conflicted situation with the backside run fits, frontside run fits, because you don't you don't know where he's going to go, and he makes full speed cuts. And so um, he, according to him, and I'll just use his words because he's a uh, he's an actual defensive coordinator and knows more about this stuff than I do. He's got a ton of respect for what he can do, and and he he did say he was a nightmare to prepare for. So. Um, yeah, that's coming from a guy that actually had to prepare for him, and I think that just shows you how much respect uh, a lot of people in the league have for him. Ben, thanks so much for your time. We'll be looking forward to your uh, call coming up uh, on the sidelines on Sunday. And where are you at uh, this Saturday? Are you out and about on the college uh, uh, scene this Saturday? Yeah, you know, I'll, uh, this is my last of three games with NFL Network. Uh, they're, they're in Conference USA, so we have uh, UTEP, uh, the, the home of Aaron Jones, yeah. um, and they're playing uh, North Texas in Denton, Texas. So I'll be down in North Texas uh, on Saturday and catch a, a flight to Kansas City on Saturday night and join the team then. All right, thanks so much, Ben Lieber. I appreciate your time. I said, oh, about 10 minutes, and here we go, just double that. So <laughs> I always, always uh, I apologize for that, but thanks so much for your time, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, sounds good. Ben Lieber from the Vikings Radio Network, former Viking linebacker, played in the NFL for many years, also for Kansas State, as we talked about Chris Kleiman and his alma mater, defeating Oklahoma last week and the culture that is there, a little NCAA letting players get uh, paid for their likeness. So great conversation with Ben Lieber again. Ben will be with us here on the Mighty 790 KFGO. 11 o'clock is the pregame show. Paul Allen, Pete Bursich with the call, and he'll be on the sidelines along with Greg Coleman. 12 noon the kickoff, the Vikings at the Chiefs Sunday here on the Mighty 790 KFGO. This is Couch Potato Radio. Derek Hansen with you.